I'm reading an extraordinarily familiar passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, I think we were here. I did not write my dates down in my Bible. I think we were here just a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago. I'm not sure. Uh, looking at something in this portion of Scripture, it seems recent at least. But I want to preach on something that I have not preached on from this portion of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I don't know that I've ever preached on this from this portion of Scripture. And that's almost hard to fathom as many hundreds of times as I've preached in chapter 11 and 12 of Hebrews. And even in the specific verses where I'm preaching here this morning, I've preached out of these individual verses. So many times you would think that I have... Uh, pressed every drop of juice there is in this grape out already, but we have not. And I want to share with you what the Lord has laid on our hearts. Please pray for us. I feel like my tank is very empty this morning, not only physically, but emotionally and mentally. I'm just frazzled and I need the help of the Lord. But I do know when I am weak that he is made strong. And my dependence is not on myself, but it is on him. And the power is not in me. The power is in the message of the gospel. And I came not with the wisdom of men's words or with the, or, uh, with the uh, desire to impress others, but I rather came preaching Christ and him crucified and uh, the, in the power and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that our preaching would be manifest in that manner. And we may be hid behind the cross and the Lord Jesus may be displayed this morning. So sincerely pray for us. Hebrews 12, and I want to read the first two verses. If you are able and willing, I would invite you to stand with us. We'll reverence the reading of the word of the Lord. And I want to be as brief as what I can be this morning. I preached two or three messages last night all rolled into one and preached long enough for to account for this morning, I think, and uh, then the night before. And so pray for us this morning that I'd be able to stay targeted in the message and cut all the fat and share with you what God's laid on our hearts. Hebrews 12 and 1, the word of the Lord says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I believe a few few Sunday nights ago, maybe a couple months ago, I preached on that cloud of witnesses and how we are compassed about with them. That we talked about, uh, Brother Bob, if I remember right, we talked about how that those witnesses are not those in the old or in the Old Testament that are referenced in Hebrews 12, but how that He has already recognized them in Hebrews 11. But in Hebrews 12, He says, "We also are compassed about." That is, there are people standing beside us, our contemporaries, who are watching us. And He says, because they are watching us around us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. We want to be like those of the Old Testament, obtain a good report, have folks look at our lives and see Christ and our faith. And if we're going to do that, we must lay aside the weight and the sin which besets us or sets us back. And then run with patience the race that is set before us. And we do this with our focus on our target, looking unto Jesus. That's our focus. That is our example. Everyone in the Old Testament died having not received the promise, but they looked towards that target. 
We are to do the same on this side of the cross, looking unto Jesus. He is our example. Man will let you down. People will fail you. But Jesus will never fail, neither will He be discouraged. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He started it and He will finish it. And this is what He did. Who, for the joy that was set before Him... He endured the cross. He didn't like it. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't want it. He prayed the cup would pass from him, but it would not pass except he drink it. And he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we will do as he did, accept our bitter cup, despise everything that is wicked and ungodly in this old world. When it's all said and done, we'll work till Jesus comes and then we'll be gathered home and we'll sit down beside of Jesus and we'll rest a little while. What a day that day will be. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, you can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing with us while we read the word of the Lord. In our familiar passage this morning, we see Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Joy set before Him and sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. I'm thankful for this assurance. This verse assures me that Jesus is doing exactly what was always planned for Him to do. He said in John 14 and 1, This is why my heart can be at ease. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He did go. He is there. He is preparing that place. And He is coming again. And I can be there also. This verse reminds me that He is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's doing exactly what has always been planned for Him to do. The plan of God has not been thwarted, sidelined, has not been derailed in any way. God... The Son is doing exactly what it's always been planned for Him to do. Oh, you and I may not always do what God planned for us to do, but Jesus is doing exactly what God has always planned for Him to do. This verse also confirms for me not only the activity, help my friend of our Lord, but it confirms the location of our Lord. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Where is Jesus now? He's at the right hand of the throne of God. This verse confirms the location of our Lord. It, it, it agrees with Acts chapter 7 and verse 55. When Stephen in his vision as he was being stoned... 
He saw the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 7 verse 55 and verse 56, Jesus is at the right hand and He is standing. But in our verse, the Lord Jesus is not standing. He is seated at the right hand. I could preach about why Jesus stood in Acts chapter 7 and verse 55 and 56. But that's not the text this morning. I'm preaching about Jesus sitting this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. And in both occasions, He is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. At the right hand of the Father in heaven. And so I'm just preaching from our text, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to give you three things this morning and a few things about those three things and we will be done. Three things, first of all, I want to talk about why He is seated. Why He is seated. Secondly, we want to talk about what He is doing. And lastly, this morning, we'll talk about what is the future. Why He's seated, what is He doing, and what the future holds. And so this morning, why is He seated? Not only is Jesus in heaven as He promised, I'll go away and prepare you a place. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Jesus is in heaven as He promised. But not only is He there, but He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is He seated? I'll tell you this morning, He is seated because His labor is over. He is set down at the end of six days of creation. On the seventh day, the Bible said He saw all the he had made and that it was good and he rested on the seventh day. It is my friend the same thing our Lord. My friend in six days worked the work of creation. He made all the stars of the heavens. He made all of the uh, planets. He made everything in the vast expanse of the universe. He planted every tree on the hillside. He my friend populated all the waters with fish and feathered every fowl of the sky. He caused every creeping thing to creep upon the earth. He made man in his likeness and his image and made woman from the man. But at the end of six days, his magnificent and awe-inspiring work of creation was done. But what God did for man in creation pales in comparison to what God does for us in redemption. God took the creation in six days he made it all and he made it right and said it is good but God did not work his fall his creation fell in sin and the fall of man was so deep he could not redeem him in six days he could not redeem him in a moment's time oh but my friend God made it all in six days but after the fall of sin he has spent every day since then to work the work of redemption amen Oh, praise His sweet name. And when the cross and the substitutionary death was done, as surely as six days of creation brought a Sabbath day of rest, so also the work of redemption brought a place beside the Father's throne.
where he could sit down and rest beside the Father. His labor is over. His days as a man suffering hunger, weariness in the flesh, exhaustion, temptations are done. He left this life with a cry of the words, It is finished. Father, into thy hands do I commend my spirit. I'm so thankful he didn't say like all of us that have to say, I've done my best, but there was so much more to do. No, he left no unfinished business. He left here saying, It is finished. Oh, praise God. Everything he came to earth to do, he did it. He can sit at the Father's right hand because his labor in this world is over. Amen. He's seated because the labor is over. He is seated this morning because the Lamb's blood has been shed. Historians and Orthodox rabbis tell us that likely more than a billion lambs were slain between the days of the first high priest Aaron and the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over a period of about 1,600 years, more than a billion lambs were slain and yet not a one of them could wash away our sin. Holy postpone the judgment of God on us. Oh, but praise God when Jesus died on the cross the veil of the temple was torn apart and my friend rent in twain from top to bottom and every priest in the land of Israel could have gone ahead and just as well as, as applied for unemployment benefits. Amen. The last lamb that would ever been needed had been sacrificed. Hebrews 9 and 12 said neither by the blood of goats and cattle but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us for if the blood of bulls and of goats and of ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God he seated because the last blood is shed there is no need for another lamb. There is no need for another sacrifice. There is no need for another death to take place. Jesus died once and for all. Hey, hey, praise God. And there is room at the cross for you. There is blood to wash away your sin. There is a sacrifice that is adequate to make you clean and right in the sight of God. The Lamb's blood is shed and so He could be seated. Why is he seated? The labor is over. He is seated because the Lamb's blood is shed. He is seated because the Lord has appointed him to see it. Amen. He is seated because the Lord, the Father, has appointed him to see it. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 2 and verse 34, the Bible said, The Lord said unto my Lord, the L-O-R-D, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Father Lord has appointed unto my Lord, the Lord Jesus, sit thou here on my right hand until I make thy foes thy foots too. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified both Lord and Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the Father God because the Father has appointed him to be there. He has usurped no position. He has taken nothing that 
does not belong to him. He is seated at the right hand of his father because it was appointed unto him. The father God said, sit right here. I don't get in a hurry. Jesus does not know when he will return. The father knows. The angels in heaven don't know. We don't know. No man knows. Jesus said, I don't even know. The father only, but the father did say, you just sit right here and be at ease. You just sit right here and be assured. I'm going to fulfill everything that I ever said. I'll make all of your enemies your footstool. I'm going to put down every false god, every false religion, every unclean and impure thing, every Gentile kingdom of this world. I'm going to be that rock tumbling down out of Babylon, tearing down the kingdoms of this world. You just sit right here until I give you the the sound, the symbol, and the sound that says, son, go get my children. You sit right here and rest. You've done everything you were supposed to do. You have pleased me well. You sit here. It's appointed unto him to sit there. Uh, John and uh, James wanted to sit beside the Lord. They said, oh, can we not sit one on your right hand and one on your left when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, this is not for me to give. He said, that's already been appointed. Amen. Praise God. Hey, one wanted to sit on Jesus' left. The problem is, if he's sitting on the Father's right, that means God's sitting in that chair on the left. He said, I can't give that to you. That's already been appointed. The Father said, Sit thou here. The Lord has appointed it unto him. Why is he seated? The labor is over. The Lamb's blood is shed. The Lord has appointed him. And number four, the reason why it's so, why that he is seated is because he was longing to be close to his Father. On Calvary's cruel cross, our precious Lord Jesus cried in agony to his Father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. This was not because Jesus did not know nor was it because he did not expect his father to turn away from him on the cross to die but it was to let us in on what was happening. It was to remind us of the fulfillment of prophecy from Psalm 22. That this separation of God the Father and God the Son would take place. The scene of Calvary was a scene of separation. The Father was separated from the sign. Oh, my friend, we were separated from our sin. And then through the resurrection, we are reconciled again unto Him by Christ who reconciled all things to God by Himself. Oh, praise God. But when this cruel time was over and the resurrection took place and Jesus ascended back to His Father in the heavens, having drunk the bitter cup that it may pass, He will never be separated from from his father again and never again will the father and the son have the blackness and darkness of night between them he sits at the right hand of his father knowing they are in perfect and absolute unity and they'll never be parted anymore by the way that ought to give us joy this morning because the same thing he received as the first fruits is what we'll receive as those that follow after him one of these days we also will be 
with the Lord. And we also will never be separated again. And we'll never be divided from Him again. That chasm of sin that separated me from God. And Jesus bridged that gap and reconciled me unto God. And praise God. Hallelujah. One of these days I'll drop the one thing that still stands between, between me and the Lord. And that is this carnal flesh. And I'll rise to seize the everlasting prize. And shout while passing through the air. Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. And what a day that day will be when we have full access to God the Father and His Son sitting at His right hand. Sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why is He seated? Well, then secondly this morning, hey, what is He doing? Sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is He doing? If we were this morning to peer into the heavens and view the activity of the darling Son of God, what would we find? What is He doing? I want to tell you while He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, what He is doing is he is leaning toward our call hallelujah he's sitting beside the father oh but he's leaning toward our call Hebrews 7 25 said wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them you know what he's doing sitting beside his father he has both ears open towards us is inclining unto us. Psalm 40 said, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined unto me. That means He leaned in my direction. He came to where I was. Praise God, He's leaning toward our call. Hallelujah. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me a pole so I have a horrible pit out of my clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath also put a new song in my mouth. He even prays in our God. Many shall see it and to trust in the Lord. I've seen it in fear and trust in the Lord. He is seated by the Father's right hand but He is there making intercession for us. Romans 8 34 said it is Christ that died, yea rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's seated by the Father but He leans to us. He hears us when we pray. And when He hears us then He turns to the Father to request of Him to grant our petition unto Him. Makes me think about the preacher man preaching with an interpreter. And he's trying to talk to a crowd that doesn't understand him. And the crowd that's out there, he don't understand them. But there is one person between him and that congregation that understands because he speaks both languages. Hallelujah. He's been in both lands. He's been in both countries. He's walked where both of them has walked. He knows that that preacher man had the language he's speaking. And he knows the language of the congregation. And when the preacher speaks, he interprets 
It's what the preacher said back to the congregation. And then when the people out there speak at the altar call, he interprets what they say back again under the preacher. Are you listening to me? Jesus is our interpreter. He takes what we say and he translates it unto his father. And he takes what the father says and he translates it unto us. You know why he can do that? He's walked in both worlds. He's stood in our shoes. He knows where we are and he knows where the Father is. He connects with us and he connects with God. You know how I get in touch with God? I get in touch with God through Jesus Christ. Your only eternal hope tonight or today your only eternal hope is God. And your only access to God is his Son, Jesus Christ. But he ever liveth to make intercession. And my friend, interpretation, translation between you and the Father. He sits at the right hand leaning unto our call. And the Bible in Romans 8 and 26 did not say when we know not how to pray as we ought. It said, and we know not how to pray as we ought. You don't know how to pray. Nobody in the building today knows how to pray. We don't know how to pray. That we're like the disciples asking Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And I don't care how long you've been praying, you haven't learned it all yet. You don't know how to pray. Oh, but praise God, we do know we can pray. And we know if we ask, we shall receive. And if we seek, we shall find. And if we knock, it shall be open in us. We know not how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. When we cannot put it into words. When we don't know what we need, all we know is that we need. Jesus knows that we need what we need and how to get it unto us. He interprets, translates for us to the Father and from the Father back again unto us by His sweet Spirit. Hallelujah to His dear name. He is seated at the right hand of God leaning unto our call. And we can call on the Lord this morning. You can call Him up and tell Him what you want. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise His dear name. He is leaning unto our call. I want to say this morning, what is He doing? He is loving the corrupt. Amen. He is loving those who are corrupted. Did you know while He is seated at the right hand of God, in the majesty, splendor, and perfection of heaven, not even one minor transgression, sin, or disobedience is in that land. Not one lust, not one ungodly fault, not one impure thing of any kind. No flesh can enter into that land while he is seated next to God the Father. And not even an ounce, not even a molecule of sin is in that place. And yet while he sits there today, he still loves the one that's full of sin. He still loves the one that's corrupted by sin. He still loves the one whose heart is is black, whose record is guilty, whose spirit
Spirit is heavy, He still loves sinners and saves the lost. While He's sitting in heaven, He still receives sinners and eats with them. They criticized Him for it in Luke 15. But I tell you, we ought to rejoice in it that this man receives sinners. Amen. We ought to shout hallelujah that He does. If He only received good folks, we'd all been left out. If He only received righteous folks, we'd all been left out. If He only received rich folks, we'd have never bought our way in. My friend, if He only received perfect folks, we all would have been skipped over. But since He received sinners, you have access and I have access. Ain't nobody in here this morning with halos on your head unless you got horns holding them up. Amen. I'm telling you, friend, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus loves me when I'm sad, when I'm glad, when I'm mad, and even when I'm bad. He still loves me. He's loving the corrupted. And 1 John 1 and 9 still says it as a fact. If we confess our sin, He's faithful. And just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A-double-L. All. All means all. And that's all that all means. All unrighteousness. And my friend, hey, and my little children, he said in the next verse, I'll write and tell you that you sin not. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, the righteous, the Lord Jesus. That's what he's sitting there for. He's loving those who are corrupted and who are sinful. Amen. This morning, no matter what you've done, where you've been, what you've been into, Jesus loves you. He hates your sin every day, but He loves you this morning. Are you listening to me? He loves you. He hates your sin every day, but He loves you, and He loves you enough to forgive you of your sin and wash away your sin and change your life. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Loving the corrupted. That's what he's doing. Then I want to say this morning, what is he doing while he sits there? He's not only leaning to our calling, loving the corrupted, but he's listening for the command. Matthew chapter 24 verse 36 tells us that no man knows the day nor the hour. No, not the angels in heaven. Jesus said, I don't even know. But the Father only. Jesus is so interested in the command of his Father to go get the children that he's not left his side for these 2,000 years. He sits listening, anticipating, waiting, and excited to hear the command that says, Son, go bring my children home. Hallelujah. And I don't know what you think about it this morning, but I'm more excited about Jesus coming back than I've ever been in my life. I really didn't feel like preaching this morning. Almost didn't preach. I just about decided to stand up and just say, Y'all, let's come have prayer and go to the house. But right about now, I feel like preaching. Praise God, there's coming a day where we'll be delivered from this world of sin and sorrow. We're going to leave it all behind. We're going to leave it all behind. Woo! Oh, praise God. I've got leaving on my mind. Bless His sweet name. Listening for the command. Son, go bring my children home. I say, oh, what a shower will rise across the vaulted skies when Jesus comes in the clouds. Oh, war and strife will cease. There'll be eternal peace when Jesus comes in the clouds. That is our hope. This creature and all creation groans for 
for this. We desire it. We crave it. And Jesus is coming. And I say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Woo! Oh, bless his name. Even so, come, listening for the command. He sits eagerly anticipating, waiting, and excited to hear the command. Oh, bless his name. Oh, what's he doing? Seated there. What is he doing? He is leaning to our call. He is loving the corrupted. He is listening for the command. Oh, praise God. Farther along, we'll know all about it. When we see Jesus coming in glory, when He comes from His home in the sky, then all these things will seem as nothing. Oh, we'll understand it all by and by, listening for the command. And then I want to tell you, while He's seated there beside the Father, what is He doing? He is looking for the church. Amen? He is looking for the church. For the last 2,000 years, it has been one by one that the church has left this world and entered into the presence of the Lord. One trip to the funeral home for us and one journey into the heavenly realm for that believer. Heaven, earth, a loss is heaven's gain. And time and again we say farewell to our loved ones and say we'll see you on the other side of the river. And one at a time the gate swings open and a child of God enters into the presence of the Lord to be absent from the body is to be present from the or with the Lord. When Stephen went home, Jesus stood up at the right hand to welcome him in. I believe he's waiting and watching for us. He's waiting for you and he's waiting for me. But one of these days it won't be a trickle of one by one and one by one. But he'll swing wide the gates. Oh, praise God. And the throng of those who have been delivered all at the same time the trumpet sounded are going to enter in together into the joys of the Lord and his Gentile church is going to be complete and I say what will it be when we get over yonder and join the throne around the glassy sea hallelujah what a day that's going to be he's looking for the church homecoming day in the morning There will be a happy meeting in heaven, I know, when we see the many loved ones who we've known here below gather on the blessed hilltops with hearts all aglow. Oh, that will be a glad reunion day. Hallelujah. The inspirations used to sing the songs and said, here we often have a family reunion. We gather for just a short while and we have to part after we've seen one another maybe a year or more at a time. Oh, but praise God, there's going to be a reunion yonder in heaven. And it says, oh, what a singing that will be when we get home. Amen. I don't know what you think about that. Maybe you don't sing at your family reunions. We always do. Amen. Oh, what a singing that will be when we get home. What a day. What a day. God's young and singing together. He's looking for the church to come home. Why is he seated? The labor is over. The lamb's blood shed. The Lord supported him. The longing to be close to his father. What's he doing? Leaning to our call. Loving the corrupt. Listening for the command. Looking for the church. What's in the future? That's the last thing this morning. 
what is in the future. What's it going to look like on down the road, this thing of Jesus sitting at the right hand? The past was Jesus as man's savior. The present is Jesus as man's intercessor. But what does the future hold? What will the days ahead be? What will become of his seat at the Father's right hand? Let me tell you this morning about the length of the seat. His place at his Father's right hand is not a temporary location. He's not renting a chair. Amen. His lease will not run out. His place at the Father's right hand is a place forever. He will never relinquish His seat at the Father's right hand. When we see Him in glory, when we see the Father, we'll see Jesus seated at the Father's right hand. The length of that seat is forever. And then I want to tell you about the future of the Lordship of the seat. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9. Wherefore God hath high highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Oh, hallelujah. I bet it's the name of Jesus ever and each should bow. Have things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Romans 14 11 says, For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. The lordship of his seat is such that even Satan himself will bow the knee. Everybody will know that he is Lord. At the great white throne, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not? They'll call him Lord and he'll say, you did not. And he'll toss him off into the lake of fire forever. I'm telling you, not one soul, not one heavenly or earthly being, have things in earth, above the earth, beneath the earth in the heavens not one creature in eternity will deny the lordship of Christ and my friend today his lordship will be forever friend what does the future of that seat hold it holds the same thing as the present does his lordship will never run out the length of the seat the lordship of the seat then I want to tell you about the future and the last judgment of the seat Romans 2 and 16 says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You know how the Lord's going to judge the secrets of men? By Jesus. That ought to strike a dart of fear in our hearts. That ought to cause us to realize that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, beholding both the evil and the good. He knows it all. 2 Timothy 4 and 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, the alive and the dead, those who are called out, Help my friend from this whole world in the resurrection and in the in the uh, rapture as surely as those. Help my friend who have already gone on. They shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Going to answer before the Lord one of these days. Did you know the nations will stand before God and give an account unto Jesus how they treated him and how they treated the nation of Israel? 
Judgment of the nations. When, you were, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came unto me. Lord, when did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison? He said, as surely as you've done unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it also unto me. The way you treated the nation of Israel, my brethren, is the way I'm going to judge you as a nation. America has tread for a long time on dangerous ground. There was a time when this country stood with Israel and we've spent about the past 10 or 12 years trying to make up our mind what direction we're going to go in. When it comes right down to it, every country in the world that turns against Israel, God's going to turn on them. There is an Armageddon coming. And I don't know if you understand it all. I don't know if I understand it all. But I know enough to know this. He told Abraham concerning him and his seed, they that bless thee, I will bless them. They that curse thee, I will curse them. You cannot stand against Israel, God's chosen people and get by. There is a price to pay for that. Amen, friend. Oh, listen, God's not a fair weather friend. He'll not turn on Israel any more than He'll turn on the church. The promises He made to God and Abraham are yea and amen. And when He swears by it, He turns not against Him. He does not uh, change and in Him. There is no a shadow of turning. Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's loved Israel with an everlasting love. And the nations that turn against her will find themselves in the judgment. Amen. We are living in a day right now while we're sitting here on our hillside in Bremen, George at peace and thinking everything's all right. And there are powder kegs blowing up all over the Middle East. Indications, my friend, from Ogog and Magog and the bear are coming down against and beginning to work their way towards Israel. And on the south side, their Arab brothers are always springing up here and there, developing massive weapons of war and make no mistake about it whether it's those people in Turkey and Syria or that bunch of ragheads down there in Saudi Arabia and Iran every one of them hate the same people and that's their neighbors in between in Israel and America's washing their hands and walking away and God is not going to stand for it and we are in trouble if we forsake the nation of Israel God's chosen people going to be a judgment one of these days. The nations will stand before God and they will give account to Jesus of how they treated Him and how they treated the nation of Israel. And I don't know if you understand what Jesus said when He said this. He told the people of Israel, He said, they will hate you because they hate me. We, I heard a preacher say one night, they hate us because we're Americans. I haven't got a thing in the world to do with being Americans. It's got everything to do with Jesus. It's got everything to do with Israel. This world and the nature of this world and the spirit of this world and the spirit of the devil and the spirit of the flesh is anti-Christ. It hates Jesus and it hates His people. 
Abraham reside with Israel. The world hates America. But they're not going to hate us. When we stop hating Israel, we're going to become their friend and we'll become the enemy of God. I tell you, if we'll seek His favor, we'll repent of our sins, forsake our wicked way, we'll stand with Israel again, and my friend, we'll quit embracing every sodomite and my friend, every lesbian way and transgenderism and multiculturalism and every sort of filthy, demonic thing out of hell and we'll again say we love God and we love Israel and we love Jesus and we're going to stand for what's right. Amen. And don't care if a man wears an R or a D or an I around his name or if he's got the whole alphabet hanging around his name. A man that will not stand with Israel, woman, whoever it might be in leadership in this nation has taken us down the wrong road. We need to open our eyes again and realize God won't put up with our foolishness forever. Amen. The nations of God, nations will stand before God and give an account. And I don't know if, if a third of you even really understand what I'm preaching about this morning, but if you don't, just dig in the Bible a bit. Oh, my friend, and don't try Googling it. Them fools on there don't have a clue what I'm preaching about either. They're as lost as a ball in high weeds. Amen. But if you get in this King James Bible, you'll understand what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, the nations will stand before God and account to Jesus how they treated Israel. The sinner will stand before God and give an account to Jesus for what they have done in rejecting Christ. There's not only a judgment of the nations, there is a great white throne judgment coming. And you know who's going to sit at the right hand of God during the judgment of the nations? It's going to be Jesus. You know who's going to sit at the right hand of the Father during the great white throne judgment? It's going to be Jesus. And He will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Amen! That's exactly right. Every person who has never been born again will stand before God in the great white throne judgment. And God will read the riot act to them, revealing all of their sin, their wickedness, their ungodliness and their shortfalls their works and measure them out according to the Bible and when they've rejected Christ he will find that their name is not found in the Lamb's book of life and turn them into the lake of fire which burns forever and forever and right at the Father's right hand will be Jesus Jesus will be sitting there but I got news for you and me church it ain't just the judgment of the nations. Are you listening to me this morning? And it's not just the judgment of the sinner. But I'll tell you, there's coming a judgment seat. And every man's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account to God for the works done in this body. And He will weigh them out and measure their value for those who are worthful or worthy and those that are worthless. And everything we have done that is not worth for God will be set afire. The Bible said, and we will suffer loss. Amen. That's right. Every unkind word, every impure thought, every... Uh, 
and just need everything that was done that should not have been done. And my friend, we'll be exposed in the judgment and we'll face judgment fire. And not only that, everything we have done for God will be tested. Our motives will be tested. Our lives will be tested. Our witness will be tested. And the only thing that will matter then is what you've done for Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. And most of what we spend our lives to Him will be worth less at that day and will be burned to ashes and there will be broken heart, burned words and bloody hands at the judgment seat of Christ and we'll wonder God a million times over that we'll live our lives differently for the Lord. And while I'm preaching to you right now till my liver could turn inside out and you sit on the pews right now is why you have a chance to do something about it. And when you stand before the Lord in judgment, it will be too late. Amen. Most of what we spend our time on in this world will not stand up in the judgment. Most of what we spend our time on in this world will not last beyond the next few minutes, if not the next few weeks. And then it will all be gone, but in eternity we're going to give an account for how we spent this life. You spend moment by moment by moment, day by day by day, doing the things of this whole world instead of trying to do what's pleasing unto God. You'll stand before the Lord and give an account for the only life God you ever had. God gave it to you and you spent it on foolishness instead of spending it on what's right with God. God have mercy. I don't regret a mile that I've traveled for the Lord. I regret not doing enough for Him. Last night in revival meeting out in Hoax Bluff, Alabama, way out on the way out there, got there and arrived and one of them said, I know you get road weary and I know you get tired, but we're glad to have you tonight. I said, oh no, I'm not complaining. The Lord does not have to let me serve Him. He could put me on the shelf and it'd still be God. He could still be God. He doesn't have to let me preach. He does not have to let me serve Him. He does not have to let me sing. He does not have to allow me to live for Him. He's not obligated to even know me, recognize me, walk with me. He's not obligated to any of those things. But He has graciously allowed it. I say thank God for giving me the privilege of serving the Lord. I have not done enough for Him. Oh my telling you and every occasion we'll all give an account to the same judge the words of Pilate in his court ring out today and throughout eternity what were you then that I should do unto him you called the king of the Jews it's the question of the ages the question of eternity the question of the judgment what will you do with Jesus this morning do you know my Jesus do you know, my friend, have you heard that He loves you and that He will abide until the end? What is the future of this seat? The last judgment of it, the length of it, the lordship of it, the light of it. You can come with a song. I'm really finished preaching. The light of the seat. In Him there is no darkness at all, said First John 1 and 5. There is no shadow of turning, said James 1 and 17. 
There are no hidden things and there is no sin. It is light all over. <laughs> it is glory radiating with brightness. Oh, praise God. At the throne, at that seat, it is all sunshine. S-O-N, shine. That's what it is. Oh, heaven's really going to shine. But Jesus will outshine it all. Revelation 21, 26 said, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb of the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk. In the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it I say soon and very soon we're going to see the king it's not a pretty day outside it's overcast it's gray I'm grateful for the rain that we've had it's cool but it ain't a pretty day can't even see the sun in the sky air's wet a little bit of breeze Junior told me a while ago, he said, I'm glad to see it cooling off, but you know it's getting cool so fast, it kind of feels cold. It's not a pretty day outside. But you know what I say? What a beautiful day for the Lord to come again. All my earthly disappointments and my trials here below fade away when I remember those last words. He said He'll return and receive His children unto Him. And I'm longing just to look upon the face of my Lord. Woo! What a beautiful day for the Lord to come again. Hallelujah. Soon and very soon we're going to see the King. If you're not certain you could stand before the Lord unashamed today, this moment... Please make preparations. This is the place and now is the time. And this is your opportunity. If you're unsaved today, right now is the time to come to this altar and beg of the Lord to have mercy on you. If you this morning are not living as you ought to be and your heart's not really where you ought to be with God, right now is your opportunity to come. The Lord sits in heaven leaning towards you. <laughs> Where the Lord is in heaven, did you know He's propped up next to His Father with His ear leaning in our direction? He's leaning towards Bremen, Georgia this morning wanting to hear from you and from me. Somebody needs to pray. Everybody stand. Build people all over this building likely need to get in this altar this morning and call on the Lord. Oh, He wants to hear you. <laughs> oh, God. Would you come? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Have you a heart oh, Lord. that's weary? Oh God, I'm standing so tired. alone <laughs> of care. My soul and my spirit. Are you a soul? That's seeking 
rest from the burden you bear. Do you know, my Jesus? Do you know, my friend? Have you heard? He loves you, and that He will abide to. disappointments who hears each time you cry who understands your heart aches who dries the tears from your eyes do you Jesus, do you know, my friend? Have you heard He loves you and that He will abide till the end? Do you know, my Jesus? Do you know, my friend, have you heard He loves you and that He will abide till the end? Who knows your disappointments? Who hears each time you cry? Who understands your heartaches? Who dries the tears from your eyes? Do you know, my Jesus? Do you know? Free.